The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by my brother and bro-host, Shane Kelly. And this week we are talking about Superliminal. That's not subliminal, nor is it superluminal, uh, which I thought of because... Uh, have we actually ever done... Uh, I kept being reminded of Superluminal Vagrant Twin as we were going through this. Did I? Did we ever do, do an episode on that? I forget. I don't... Th- think we did but we've done damn near five million of these uh by this point so who knows yeah um, but uh, i kept thinking of that with the title but no this is super liminal as opposed to subliminal and uh, i i keep thinking about the um the simpsons gag where lisa acute lisa has found out that the army recruiters are using subliminal ads and uh he tells her we're using a three-pronged approach Subliminal, liminal, and superliminal. And she's like, what's superliminal? He leans out the window and yells, join the army! And uh, I think Larry's like, I should join the army. <laughs> I don't remember that at all. Uh, but that's good. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, uh, that's not exactly what this game is doing. This game, actually, uh, I first heard about this game years and years and years ago under its original title. This is one of those games that's been in development for, like, over five years for sure. I forget exactly. It started as a student project and uh, has been... Uh, you know, has made its it debuts on, you know, YouTube and Twitter and so on in various forms over the years. And when I first saw it, it was going by the name The Museum of Simulation Technology, uh, which I think is a, a cooler title than Superliminal, in my opinion. I would have probably stuck with that, although I could see why they switched when they kind of added the frame story onto this, which we'll get into. Yeah, you, it's worth pointing uh, at the the fact you're saying it debuted on YouTube because I think there's more people out there who have seen uh, stuff that's in this game than probably realize it. Um, when I launched this game, I also had not made the connection to the Museum of Simulated Technology or Simulation Technologies, whatever it's so, called. Yeah. But I had seen tons of clips of that shared on YouTube and Twitter and things like that over the years, I guess five years that this was in development. So it's kind of weird to get into a puzzle game and realize, oh, I know the solution to this puzzle because I saw it on as YouTube a, like three form. years ago as a GIF. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that is that is kind of a, a, a weird situation that I have not found myself in before. And it, it felt like I had been vaguely subliminally spoiled um, for the game. Yeah. You kind of recognize it if you've seen screenshots, although it's also has a kind of a blandness to it that could make it kind of an every game. You could look at screenshots of this and think it was like a lost level from uh, like the Stanley parable or something like that for a lot of it. Yeah, that's the closest example I have is it's a lot. In fact, the tone as well of the writing, although not quite as humorous as the Stanley parable, it, it definitely has that same kind of. You know, you're you're wandering through the world's blandest office building and encountering the impossible at every turn. So uh, that's kind of the the vibe you get here. Um, but this is a puzzle game, and it is a unique 
puzzle game in that, as far as I can tell, it's one of very, very few puzzle games that rely really heavily on the idea of forced perspective. Mm -hmm. Forced perspective is a sort of optical illusion where you make things appear closer or further away depending on their size. And you've probably encountered this. This is done a lot in photography. Like if you've ever seen the classic tourist photo of someone holding up the Eiffel Tower, that is an example of forced perspective. Uh, mm-hmm. Or if you, you know, there's a lot. It's used in, in on the stage. Um, it's, it's used a lot in art. But I don't see it used a whole lot in games. And the reason for that is pretty obvious. Uh, in games, your perspective is usually not locked. Um, you are able to move around and look around things from different sides. And that's something that easily blows a illusion that's based on forced perspective. So, mm-hmm. And why would you bother with forced perspective uh, when you can literally just place objects of any size anywhere in an environment like is the strength of, mm-hmm. uh, of 3D games? Uh, but yeah, this yeah. game plays with that for its kind of central puzzle mechanic. Um, and uh, so it's uh, the kind of key trick that this game lets you pull is that objects, not every single object in the game, which is sort of how this game is sort of restricted in terms of its puzzle design, but some objects, many objects in the game, uh, when you pick them up, uh, you're picking them up at whatever size they appear to be in your view. And then when you drop the items, uh, they can be any size depending on the perspective that you're looking at them in. And it's a little hard to describe, but the idea basically would be like, let's say that there is a small teacup sitting on a table in front of you. If you get quite close to that teacup and pick it up, then the teacup may be fairly large in your field of view. And then if you look out into the distance across a large room, for example, you can dr- drop that teacup and the teacup gets projected across the room as basically it it uh, it tries to project the objects that you are holding as far as they can go without encountering any geometry and then scales them to size to fit whatever your view was. So you can pick up a small object that's close, drop it far away at a very large size or pick up a massive object that's out in the distance and uh, uh, it becomes small by kind of coming closer to you while maintaining its same visual size. Uh, it's a little hard to explain verbally but it makes it makes perfect sense when you see it and it's also one of those kind of like wow that's a cool you know mechanic kind of thing that just like demos really well it looks really cool when you do it um and it just sort of has this like instant mind bender kind of quality to it but do produces a lot of really interesting wow moments um you know there's there's going to be times where you know you you come into a room and there's basically nothing in it um, except for one or two little objects that you can pick up off of a table, like a, maybe a, a child's building block. And your exit for the room is, you know, quite a ways up uh, a wall. And you're going to basically pick up the block on the table and put it down against the wall, growing it to a size that you can use it as a, as a climbing object to, to make your way out. So that's the kind of puzzle and interaction you're going to have. It's really fun honestly the the puzzles i didn't find super difficult i actually played through the whole game in one sitting and i didn't really ever get stuck once uh it was a very breezy experience uh but it was full of a lot of these little wow moments that are like oh what's what what do i do next look around what what objects can i pick up 
where could I place them? What size do they need to be? Uh, and they play around with that a lot. And there's, there's a lot of aspects to that mechanic you described, uh, being able to pick things up and, and drop them uh, that they play off of. So it's not just the fact that you can change the size of objects. It's also that you can pick up and place objects either close or far away is, is played with a lot. Uh, so if you, it, there are times where you need to pick up an object that's very far away from you. At, uh, and in order to do that, you have to get into just the right position to be able to have a clear line of sight to that object. Because once mm-hmm. you do, you can, you can pick it up, even though it might be very small. Or you need to place an object on a button. Um, and in order to do that, again, you know, you have to work with the sight lines and, and make sure that you're able to pick up and then place the objects where you want them to go. So there's a lot of really cool interactions that are based around that. And I thought the puzzles, um, each one, one, there's a few at the start that kind of are are like making sure you have a grasp on the basics of the mechanics but the puzzles really mix it up every single time. And there's not a lot of um, reuse uh, of ideas. And in addition to mixing up how they use the mechanics, they, they have a few other mechanics that they, that they throw in. And they're always changing what the objects are that you're dealing with or, or a little bit about your surroundings while trying to tell you a kind of interesting story about some sort of dream therapy that you're in. And, and the story was a, probably the piece that fell flat for me the most uh, uh, compared to the puzzles. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you there. Like, obviously, I think we can spend most of our time talking about it from a mechanics perspective. The the story feels a bit like, you know, like a loose frame story, like a lot of uh, puzzle games like this probably have. Uh, but for me, like I was constantly comparing this with another uh, first person uh, sort of physics and perspective related uh, puzzle game that I played this year. And that's um, Manifold Garden, uh, which I think yeah. Manifold Garden, I, I preferred that to this game. Uh, I think they're both interesting, but like Manifold Garden had no story whatsoever. And I think was stronger for it. Um, I don't think this game like um, did in like, I, I get, the, I get what they were going for with the story and they were going for a sort of, uh, Stanley parable ish portal ish kind of like, uh, like cheerful hellscape kind of vibe. Like, Oh, you're, you're trapped in a, to the extent that and- there is a, there is a female robotic voice that is guiding you through some of the, some of the puzzles yeah, and scolding you for your inability to like complete the dream, uh, therapy correctly. Uh, you know, it's, it's very portal. It's very GLaDOS. And, uh, and the British guy is very, uh, Stanley parable to the point where it's like, I, for a second, I was like, is that the same voice as the Stanley parable? No, very informed guy, by both in terms of very, in very informed by both the creation and, of the story. and doesn't do really well by the comparison to either, frankly, because like having played, I've played portal many times And, you know, yes, GLaDOS is this sort of funny, wisecracking force in the game, but she also really works in terms of like the, uh, like it, it just it just works better. Glados is just like well, Glados is a character, right? And the robotic lady voice here is not really a character, um, and so neither there's... is the uh, the doctor that speaks to you. So yeah, maybe we should go ahead and take a second and set up a little more uh, detail about like what they are going for with the story of this game. Uh, you know, you you wake up. You never see yourself or any of the game outside of the sort of 
simulation or dreamscape that you're in. But the the game uh, tells you pretty early on that you are a patient in a kind of dream therapy clinic and that clinic is there to do something about your perspective. In particular, it says there you're at the Pierce Institute uh, and they're using their patent pending Somnusculpt technology to give you safe and effective dream therapy from the comfort of their flagship clinic. Um, so you are starting most of the chapters of this game. It's divided up into chapters in basically what looks like a sleep clinic. And if you've never been in a sleep clinic, um, it's a building. They're often, you know, in a uh, strip mall or something like that. But the idea with a sleep clinic is, you know, maybe you have a sleep disorder like insomnia or a variety of other things and you go in and they will have you sleep in a little bedroom uh, and they will monitor you with sensors and cameras while you sleep to try and diagnose problems that you might be having with your sleep. So um, you start off most of these runs in a sleep clinic. Um, So you're in a bedroom looking room that, you know, then lets you out into a uh, kind of office area where, you know, there's a place where you'll see your chart on the wall, medical chart, uh, and there's like a, um, a waiting room area that you wander out through. And then as you, as you leave that area, you are going into a, the, the truly surreal. You're, you know, the instant you step out of that space, sometimes the instant you wake up, uh, you're encountering something that's bizarre and surreal. Yeah, and that honestly, that framing works for me. This idea of like waking up constantly waking up again and again, um, but continuing to be like trapped within a dream, within a dream, within a dream. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't always love, uh, you know, it was a dream all along as a narrative device. In fact, I usually kind of hate that. Uh, but like as this, a twist, it's horrible. But as a setup, I think it's it's functional. here. Yeah, yeah. This functions a little bit more like the like eternal sunshine yeah. of the spotless mind kind of vibe where it's like, okay, you know that you are engaging in some sort of like introspective dreamscape thing. In fact, that the, specifically you're using they're using something called eyelids or interactive lucid induction dream state in which you retain full consciousness and control over your dream. So. <laughs> Um, this actually brings in another outside idea, the idea of lucid dreaming, which is, um, I, I like the, I, I like lucid. I've had a few lucid dreams in my life and they're all very memorable. Um, if you've never had a lucid dream, that's a dream in which you, in a sense, wake up during the dream or realize that you are dreaming within a dream. Um, and there are a lot of people out there who have devoted, uh, time, energy, and thought to, being able to have lucid dreams as a way to, uh, you know, well, it's actually a very interesting experience to have a lucid. Reagan, have you ever had a lucid a lucid dream? I can't really say that I have. Um, I mean, I think I might have had like lucid parts of dreams, but for the most part, I, I'm not a person who remembers their dreams or has interesting dreams. You know, most of the time when I dream and remember it, it, it tends to be like incredibly banal stuff, like uh, dreaming about mm-hmm. stuff too banal even to relate to you on the podcast here. Just like, you know, slight variations on my existing day to day. That's sad, Reagan. I'm sad for you. I would like to. Uh... <laughs> I I think uh I think maybe you could use some eyelids uh somnusculpt therapy to improve that aspect of your life but 
it, you know, I have had many lucid dreams that were very memorable and awesome. Like, for example, realizing that I was dreaming and then saying, well, you know what? I'm going to do the flying thing and just, you know, flying around. It's, it rules. It's great. So, you know, if there were a clinic that could induce lucid dreaming reliably, that's something I would consider doing. So I, I, I think that is a setup for this is kind of cool. Uh, and it ties in well to the kind of dreamlike nature of the puzzles and of the uh, and the surreal uh, nature of the of the environment. Although I will say that the environments in this game feel much too carefully constructed to be dreamlike. Yeah, there are there are moments in this game that are dreamlike, but wandering into a room and then trying to figure out how to open the door is not something that particular a very clinical office room is not super dreamlike to me yeah every room in this game almost or most of the spaces in this game have the feeling of like uh like a really large but sort of uh only only moderately well-maintained 1970s uh you know office building or other associated like 70s i have a very 70s looking vibe off of a lot of this which, you know, I get why they're going for that. Like the the whole um, vibe of the like, you know, the dream therapy has a slightly rinky dink nature to it. Like at one point you see the exterior of or what what I am, you know, what it seems to be the exterior of the dream clinic. And it is literally, like you said, Shane, just something in an office park. Uh, so it, like and, and there's even jokes about it. At one point there's there's like a billboard or not billboard, like a whiteboard in a hallway uh, where presumably someone related to the dream therapy was writing notes. There's a few of these throughout the game. And and one of them, uh, they're just complaining about how everyone only seems to be dreaming about incredibly boring everyday objects, nothing really interesting. Um, And I mean, that's sort of like, I I get why they would want to go for like the, uh, the more grounded stuff because for puzzle purposes, that stuff is really simple. Things like, building blocks, dice, uh, chess pieces, uh, and like small things like electronic, you know, electric fans and things like that, um, make perfect sense from a puzzle perspective, because you don't want to have like, like, uh, you know, a, a dream about a gaseous cloud of, uh, of energy or something like that, because that's going to be very hard to have a concrete puzzle about, right? Like no matter how, how did you actually know about one of my lucid dreams, uh, about being choked by a gaseous cloud? <laughs> I, I just guessed Shane. And one of the, one of no, but for real though, one of the triggers that I had once in my in a lucid dream was I, uh, I was in, in my house and I was choking. It was full of some sort of weird gas. And I realized in my mind, Oh, uh, I have my my mouth and nose covered by the pillow. So I forced myself to roll over and then I had a lucid dream after that. So <laughs> that is very interesting. Um I, I would rather not have anyone cover my nose and mouth while I'm sleeping just to induce a lucid dream, but it was <laughs> you can give it a try <laughs> no, at home. Yeah. Well maybe that's part of eyelids. We'll see. Yeah. Um, yeah, like the, the, the overall vibe of it is this sort of like almost oppressive level of of uh, of sort of like mundanity this sort of oppressive mundanity of these settings contrasted with the sort of like surrealness of the tiny objects, incredibly large or vice versa. Um, so, you know, visually it kind of works and it works well for the puzzles too. I'm not sure how well it works for the theme. And overall, I think my, my take on this game is like it's puzzles are much more successful than it's story and theming. 
The, yeah, I would agree. I, I would say it's not uh, it's not bad. It's a very serviceable story. Um, I, I have seen a few reviews that uh, said that seemed to rave about the story, basically saying like. And, uh, you know, it tells a, a powerful story, has a powerful message that's particularly resonant for our time. What? I was like, <laughs> what does this have to do with our time? Our time right now is a, is a very specific time, and it doesn't have anything to do with the... I, I have a hard time actually identifying what the, um, what the specific message of the story is. Uh, it seems to be something about perspective and empowerment, but I didn't really... That didn't really land for me, so I guess I kind of agree with you. Yeah, there. yeah, I think it's it. Um, I mean, it, at the towards the end, it really tries to play with the idea of like perspective not being just about you know your uh, visual perspective, forced perspective, but also just sort of about ha- finding a different perspective on your life being the the way to to you know deal with your problems. And I mean, like I don't know, man. Most of my problems don't necessarily get better by me having a different perspective about them. They're a little more concrete than that. But hey, whatever works for you. Some of my problems would be improved by would be improved by the ability to shrink or grow objects, though. Well there we there we go. Yeah. Uh theme figured out. Yeah. We've we've Sherlocked it. Uh let's talk about some of these puzzles. Yeah, sure. Uh what's so you said you didn't have any real trouble getting through these. I had some real trouble with a few of them. Like I got really stumped by a couple of spots in this game. Um, but I don't know. Let's start with like like really memorable or favorite. Let's start bits. with. Well, let me start with the the very first moment in the game, which was really uh, I thought a, a good on ramp and pretty uh, pretty basic, uh, just giving you some toys to play with and seeing as you go through it. Uh, the first moment is kind of funny. Um, you're in a small room that has like. You know, paneled walls and you know, corrugated steel floor. And there's a small table on the wall in front of you as you're waking up. It tells you some of the basic controls to move around and look around and grab stuff. And behind you on a table, there's a terms of service document that you click on to sign. I'm sure waving all of your you know rights uh, to your brain or whatever. Uh, and then when you turn back around, uh, the door has appeared uh, in the wall you while you weren't weren't looking at it. And this by the way, is one of my favorite things they do in video games is uh, create spaces that couldn't work or couldn't look this way in, in real life, which is what drew me to this game. I love the things that they play when they played with perspective that wasn't just about increasing or decreasing the size of things, because obviously that's sort of like the main interaction you have with things. And it, it is fun to do. It's always fun to like take a small object and make it huge. Um, but sometimes they play with perspective in other interesting ways, like like what you just mentioned uh, or uh one that they did uh, several times and I really liked every time was that you'll see like a pattern of an object painted on the scenery and it's just sort of like painted against the wall and you have to position yourself in just the right position in the room that that painting, which is sort of like elongated and stretched by perspective. Yeah. Uh, once you line up the perspective correctly, then suddenly that object goes from being like painting on the background to being like a physical object you can pick up. Uh, and every time they did that, I thought it was neat and fun. And they played with it in some interesting ways too. Like we have to move some objects around so that those that painting of an of a of a thing lines up correctly, or or you know has to do with lighting that sort of stuff. That stuff was really cool. Anything they did totally like that agree. was like a really good use of the perspective mechanic. It's kind of a controversial game. Uh, people have dif- differing opinions on it, but uh, that uh, but the witness is a game that did this and was one of the first games that I, I remember doing this well, where they had some of the puzzles. Uh, many of the puzzles were very signposted and were literally on boards in the world. 
But some of the puzzles, you had to be in just the right spot and looking in the right place to see that the world itself had a puzzle drawn on it. Um, I can't remember if there were times that I've encountered that kind of a trick in games before where, uh, but that's, that's an, another earlier example of like forced perspective used in a puzzle game. As you continue, the game is divided into nine chapters. Um, the first one is just your introduction that all has basic puzzles that are based around the kind of grabbing and placing forced perspective The second area that you get into is called optical and that it stops looking like an office and starts looking a lot more like a hotel and they start to do a lot of really interesting stuff here um, with like there's some some moments in that that I really liked. For example, um, you have some hallways that well, basically a lot of it in this area is just about optical illusions and playing with your perspective. Um, not always in ways that are related to puzzles, but in, in some ways that are just meant to subvert your expectations. Um, like when you first start walking through there, you come up to a door, and when you try to open the door, the door just comes away in your hand and is now an object you're holding. You know that I think that was a that was a moment I think I laughed out loud for. And uh, the, but there's there's other cute little stuff. And by the way, I guess we should say. As we talk about these areas, we're probably going to wind up spoiling some of the puzzle solutions. Should we? Well, I would say like be careful this about is, that. Each of these areas is full of puzzles, and I think we should try and keep the the specifics to a minimum. But like uh, each area has a sort of a mechanical theme. I don't think it's terribly uh, you know improper to discuss some of those mechanical themes at least for the first half or so of the game without maybe necessarily getting into very specific puzzle solutions. Okay. So I'll, I'll try and discuss this without revealing any particulars. Um, I honestly think some of my favorite areas were in the second and third chapter, the second, second chapter optical has a lot of, and this isn't even a puzzle, so it's not really a spoiler, but uh, there's, there's hallways and things that you look down and, and it looks like a, ordinary hallway but when you start going down it they've played with your perspective in some way like the the hallway is actually uh not a hallway it's an inverted cone uh that just looks like a hallway from the angle from which you first see it mm-hmm. uh, I it's love hard that. to explain no i know exactly it was a weird but that was super good um yeah or or there's a hallway that looks like a dead end but if you go down it it actually isn't a dead end there's a corner that's not visible until you get all the way down and, and look around. And as you start walking down those hallways, it, it's, you know, it's freaky, man. It's blowing your mind. Um, so that's, that's some of my favorite areas in the game. I think, uh, from a technical perspective, the most impressive thing about this game is how good of a job it does at sort of inferring your intent about size and placement you know, and I mentioned earlier that like what the game does is when you when you pick up an object and then you go to, to place it down again, it's sort of projecting it out as far as it can go without intersecting with any other geometry um, and kind of scaling it to whatever that size is. And that's usually true, but there are definitely times where this game didn't do it that way. And I think it must have they must have some kind of map that they're working off of to kind of like wait how so you know of course when i pick up an object in this game and i'm holding it in my hand and let's say i'm looking out across a long room um there is there are any number there's an infinite number of 
you know, places along the line between where I'm looking and the horizon, uh, that that object could be placed theoretically when you drop it, right? And so it could be any number of different sizes at any point along that line, and it would be quote unquote correct in terms of size and perspective. Um, so when you drop something though, the game does a really good job of sort of inferring like where did he probably want to place it and what size did he want it at based on, on that. Um, and it's not always just like, okay, what is the farthest from the camera that we can place this object? Uh, it, it, although it, it usually is sort of weighted that direction, uh, it, it usually also will th- do things like, you know, it gives you enough space where if you place it down uh, across the room near a wall, there's going to be room for you to walk over to it and walk around behind it and not get caught up on the wall and things like that. So like it, it, it's very smart. Oh, and if you're trying to place something like, let's say you want to place an object near a door. Well, okay, it's going to try to place it where you can get close enough to that door to actually go through it. Um, so it's really, really clever, I think, about how that specific mechanic works in a way that like I think there's a lot more technical stuff going on under the hood here to make that work in a way that feels simple and effortless uh, than is probably really apparent. You know, I don't think it's quite as simple as just like, what's the biggest you can make something when you drop it, if that makes sense. Yeah, there there are some places where I felt like the mechanic was a little bit hokey seeming. Um, and the, the place where it fails is when you get really close to the place you're trying to drop mm. it. So like, let's say you're holding... A block and then you walk all the way up to a wall uh, by perspective that thing's going to be very very small um, and it does this kind of weird outline effect that shows you like okay this thing's going to get really really tiny and it does kind of break the force perspective because it becomes a little video gamey there and the other place where I felt like the mechanic is a little iffy is when you uh, pick up an object and then um, let's say you're in a really tall room and you put it way up above your head and you drop it far away, way up high, and it comes down and crashes down on top of you. Um, the game kind of freaks out and tries to fig- it, it. I've had there's very there's a variety of different things that will happen there. Sometimes it will like push you out of the way. Uh, sometimes you'll wind up inside the object and then the game tries to sort out what to do. So that kind of situation gets a little weird, but Hey, we're talking about impossible physics. Uh, they had to do something. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, the, the end result is like they, they probably were trying to go for, okay, what works the best in terms of, of, you know, being able to use the, these weird impossible physics to complete puzzles. And so at some of those edge cases, they definitely kind of like round towards playability and that seems good. I mean, you know, seems like the right way to go. Uh, the specific thing you mentioned about pressing up against a wall in order to shrink an object feels completely like it doesn't map with the rest of the physics. But it also was very useful to be able to do throughout the game. You know, sometimes you need to make an object very small. And uh, some and sometimes it's very difficult to do that. Maybe you're in a small room. And so being able to make an object very small, you know, normally the way to do that would be to place it extremely far away. Uh, but you may not have that option in every space. So being able to kind of like squish up against a wall to shrink an object, despite the fact that it doesn't necessarily make quote unquote sense in terms of the perspective, you know, I buy it. It's fine. Another thing you wind up interacting with is these blur gates. I don't know what else to call them. They're these uh, doorways that they look like kind of warped glass, yeah. uh, but you can walk through them. And the function of those is to stop you from bringing objects 
from one puzzle area into the next puzzle area. Um, uh, and sometimes they're also incorporated into the puzzles. So there's especially some early puzzles where the point is to find a creative way to get a uh, object around these gates uh, rather than going through it, uh, teaching you things like maybe there's a doorway you can't bring an object through in a low wall, but maybe you can put the object uh, above the wall so that it falls on the other side of the wall and then you can pick it up there. So, so there, there's some creative use of that kind of interaction as well. Yeah. That felt very portal like to me, you know, the whole idea of these like gates that you can pass through, but you can't bring objects through very similar to a lot of places in portal where, for example, there'll be like uh force field type things where you can walk through, but you can't shoot a portal through. And if you cross across them, your portals fizzle. Um, and so like, yes, it, it's all just sort of like, I would have loved, uh, to be able to break this game more. I think I would have felt like it was more, uh, more fun if there was a, uh, a you know, if there were more items that you could p- pick up and mess around with. And if the, uh, the spaces felt larger with larger numbers of items that would make it harder to support the kinds of puzzles that this game is all about though. Like it, it, just like if you, you know, if you had a portal gun that could shoot, you know, 10 different portals uh, in portal, uh, then that might make it a lot harder to create actually challenging puzzles. Similarly here, I think if I could just pick up a soda can at the beginning of the level and shrink or grow it and use nothing but the soda can to address every challenge throughout the entire game, that wouldn't feel as interesting as the kind of variety of objects and items that uh, you have to interact with here and uh, you know, how each little area or room is kind of very custom built depending on the stuff that's available within it. Um, so, you know, I agree. understandable, but also I do think a little it, bit of a loss that it's not a little bit more free about that kind of thing. I think that they also kind of shoot themselves in the foot here um, on that subject because many of the places where you are given a fair number of objects to interact with in a fairly large space to just sort of muck around with the mechanic are those very early rooms. And so thereafter, everything else feels kind of locked down. Um, in a lot of cases, there feels like there's, to me, it felt like there was just one very clear solution to the puzzle. I I, I would say in a lot of these rooms, I walked in, looked around at the objects understood the solution and left, yeah. you know? Yeah. Especially once you, you know, once you realize, oh, well, even if this room looks kind of cluttered, there's only two things I can pick up, you know, that, that really like limits what your solutions are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I would really like for there to have been, uh, more puzzles that involved like figuring out multiple stages or, uh, maybe some more red herrings in the puzzles, um, for me to figure out like, well, I've got three objects here, but only one of them is going to lead to a solution. That's something I think could have been improved. But I would say there's also something really nice to be said about just getting into a flow in this these kinds of puzzles. Like there's, it's really cool just to cruise through a game and feel like you're, oh man, I'm solving the shit out of these. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I am, I'm, I'm really, <laughs> I'm really solving the shit out of these puzzles, yeah. and I, I'm flying through. I, I did beat this game in one sitting, which is something I love. And not just because we have a podcast about short games. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, like, I think you have a slightly different experience than I did. I played it across three sittings, and it was because I got stuck twice. And uh, those places where I got stuck, 
felt a little silly once I figured out the solution, but like I was very seriously stuck. I'll just mention them real quick uh, without giving specific um, puzzle solutions here to hopefully guide people in the right direction if you know what you're looking for. Um, the, the place I got the stuck the most was chapter, I think it's chapter five, and it's the chapter where it introduces a cloning mechanic where you can pick up an object and rather than just picking it up, every time you pick up an object, you're actually cloning it. You're making a duplicate of it. Yeah, you're picking up and dropping, instantly dropping a copy of it. Right. Um, in visually in front of where the object right. would and be. Which is is fun. I, I think they should have put that kind of set setup earlier. Um they this is that's the chapter where they deviated from the main mechanic by far the most. Um I don't know. How did you feel about that chapter? Well, it was fine. It was, like I mentioned, I got pretty stuck in a couple of places in that chapter. And the main reason was that when it introduces that cloning mechanic, it only introduces it relatively close up when you first see it. Um, And so it wasn't clear to me initially that like, like the regular pickup object mechanic, you can do it from any distance. Um, And because of the way the cloning mechanic works, like I, I realized I could do it from any distance, but in certain pers- but it wasn't clear to me that like when you do it, you're cloning an object that is near you. It's hard to explain why this is the case, but something about the way the perspective works with this particular cloning mechanic is that I thought that the clones were popping out of the original object and that their, their location of the clone was based on the original object. But as is the case with most of the rest of the game, the clone is actually the location of the clone is actually based on your perspective. And, and it's just the fact that, that the the way this mechanic was introduced was only ever introduced initially in, in places where that distinction didn't matter because you were seeing the items pretty up close. And then when I did get to start using the cloning mechanic from a little farther away, uh, the, the perspective of it was very misleading. Um, so I, I, I got completely stuck for a pretty significant amount of time on one of those levels to the point where I had to ask Shane for tips because I was just about to give up. Um, and uh, I also got kind of stuck on one very specific area that I actually realized later, like I, I, for this one, I had to, I ended up looking up a YouTube video of it and uh, realized in watching cheater. The, yes, I know in realized in watching this YouTube video that I think that the developer patched this particular puzzle to make it easier. And I still got pretty stuck. And that is that there is a, uh, which puzzle was that? There's a uh, there's a uh, um, there's a, a part where you get into a loop. You're going through a hallway, and uh, depending on what you do in that. Oh yeah, the maze. Yeah, well, there's sort of yeah. a maze. Yeah, and you, but it's essentially like this little corner of hallway that you can walk through, and um, at, at one end uh, you come to a T junction, and on one side there is a brick wall, and on the other side there is a doorway, and if you go through that doorway, the hallway repeats, and. It seems okay. So I kind this is the closest to stuck I got, and I'm curious about like how this worked for you because I um, I kind of somewhat intuitively brute forced this puzzle. I I remember like oh I, I was watching that there's some something in the room that changes and it's about going left or right or looking left or right, mm-hmm. right? But I don't remember how I exactly okay. solved it. So how did you solve I, I'm going to give the puzzle solution here. Or so how did you solve it, I guess? If this is something that you don't want spoiled for you, uh, feel free to go ahead and skip forward by maybe a minute or a minute and a half. Um, but basically, when you come to the end of this T-junction, whichever way you look first is the direction that you can't go. It gets bricked up. So if you come to the end of the T-junction and you look left, there are bricks there. If you look right, there are bricks there. Whichever way you look first is bricked up. 
Um, but there's also a there's a sign that says like which way to the exit, right? There's like an exit sign with an arrow, uh, a visual element that gets repeated all throughout the game. And uh, you have to glance at the exit sign before you look at either ends of the hallway. Uh, and then you have to look towards, you have to look in the opposite direction of the exit sign first so that the the direction that the exit sign is pointing doesn't get bricked up. Um, I completely didn't understand that. Uh, when I looked up a YouTube video of it to try and figure out like how to get through this part, because I just sat there looping through this. You have to, and by the way, you don't have to just do that once. You have to do that several times. Um, and each time you do it, like it, the, there's a sign on the wall that kind of has a number on it that ticks up by one. And you have to do it like five times uh, in succession. And I didn't realize what was going on. And so like I would randomly get up to like three or four and then I would look the wrong direction when coming down the hallway and have to start over. And I did it a bunch of times. So very, very frustrated at the time when I looked at my, the YouTube video of it in the in the original version of the game, I was playing on the Switch version. I'm not sure if this is a platform difference or just a, a version difference. Uh, it got it was even worse in the original version in that there would be a an ex, two exit signs, and it wasn't that one end of the thing got bricked up. It's just that one end of the one end of the hallway was always wrong. You could go either direction, um, like extremely confusing puzzle. And I could see why they patched it to make it easier. And yet I still got pretty darn stuck on this one. So, um, you know, look out for that particular puzzle solution. Cause that one, uh, who I got real stuck there now, maybe, uh, maybe you'll be able to just like bumble your way through it. Like Shane apparently did. And good for you, Shane, that you did. Cause it was, it was weird when I, uh, when I was on that one, but anyway, that's, uh, that was what was, uh, yeah, th- those that two was were definitely the only a puzzle where stuck. like, I, 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 I noticed the numbers were, going up and then resetting when I screwed up and I knew that it was something related to the way I looked. But when I got through that puzzle and it took me longer than most of the other puzzles in the game, uh, I got out of it and I was like, man, I couldn't tell you how I solved that (laughs) if I, (laughs) if I had to. So, um, yeah, it's, it was an interesting one. It definitely felt like, um, not totally of a piece with the rest of the game, if that makes sense. But, uh, yeah, it, I would say that's a, that's a weird, weird. Puzzle. Yeah. Anyway, um, all in all, I think you're right in that, like you do kind of get into a flow with this game and the puzzles are all interesting and yet simple in a way that gives you a lot of forward momentum through the thing. And, and I could definitely see finishing this game, uh, in a single sitting if you were, uh, and by a single sitting, like I, I generally mean like this is a, this is an under three hour experience. If you don't get completely stuck, like I did, uh, would you guess that's about the right length Shane? Yeah, I would say two hours or or maybe even less. Like if you're if you're like me and you're not particularly interested in in checking every corner. Um, and by the way, there are like collectibles in this game that are basically like I think in every level there's tucked away somewhere in a hard to access area. There's like a blueprint for you to find. Yeah, there's things like um, an achievement for uh, for pulling the fire alarm in every level, that sort of thing. Yeah, so so I was absolutely not going for that, and I I, I guess that that's there to nominally add some replayability, but I don't really see this as a replayable game. I think this is a one and done. Oh yeah, uh, experience that's about the length of a movie, uh, and I I felt like I got a good value out of it for that. I really enjoyed the time I spent with the game and I'll probably never play it. (laughs) I mean, isn't that the case with, with many of the games we cover on this show? So nothing unusual about that. I would definitely recommend checking this out. If you're the sort of person that likes these sorts of puzzle games, puzzle games that are, you know, mostly first person, what have you, um, uh, things in the, in the, 
the legacy of Portal. I let's talk about some comparables uh, there. Yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, for me, like the big I, ones would be the Portal games and um, Manifold Garden, which is probably my favorite game of this kind. Um, you know, f- uh, games with like first person, uh, like abstract physics or or physics that is uh, you know not necessarily related to our own world. Antichamber is another game. That's a I don't remember if we've done that one for this show. I think we haven't, uh, but I have played it. It's a very similar in tone, um, kind of 3D puzzle game. Uh, that one is visually has a lot in common with Manifold Garden in the kind of simplified graphics of it. Um, and it's also very much based on the kind of impossible objects, MC Escher style mm-hmm. Um that's one thing that I think is different from this one from some of the, the highlights of this little mini genre is a lot of those games really lean on the impossible geometry MC Escher kind of look. Um, and this one has a very Stanley Parable inspired look, I would yeah. say. Um, so if you liked this, I would also say Stanley Parable is another comparable game, even though it doesn't really play with the same kind of thing. It's more about subverting your preconceptions as a player of video games mm-hmm than it is about pre, you know, subverting your, your uh, literal perspective. Yeah. Pre- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and another one I would, I would throw in the same bucket, uh, although it has a lot of differences is the swapper. Mm, okay. Um, I guess I see in that. The, the swapper like portal is based around, um, having this kind of unique, you know, many, many puzzles based around exploring the implications of a, of a single unique interaction that you have. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And, and, and the swapper and that, like, like portal, um, and unlike this game is mostly about like taking that and making it both a like puzzle solving mechanic and also an interesting movement mechanic. And I mean, both at once, uh, that's one of the things that is sort of different about this game is that it feels a little more, um, removed from, it's weird physics in that you're only ever like the, the, the weird physics are never really about you and your body and your movement through the space. You're manipulating the space around you. Unlike something like portal where you're literally like jumping into the portals and flinging yourself out of walls. Uh, this feels a little bit more removed uh, and that might be good for some folks who maybe have difficulty with the sort of 3d movement mechanics of portal and want something a little bit more. Uh, this can be a lot more slow paced than some of the moments in portal um, and a little easier to control in that like your, your actual movement mechanics are pretty standard 3d walking sim stuff. Mm-hmm. I would say in terms of the quality of the puzzles, the swapper would be, be maybe of the games we've discussed as being related. Um, the swapper has the highest quality puzzles. Oh, yeah, that game is so Portal. cool. It's 2d, so, which is a very different kind of approach to this sort of thing. But man, that game has really clever puzzles. You know, something I was going to mention was um, this game. It, it This game, I think would have, when this game was first announced in 2014, I think that it would have, would have felt more like an electric, like really cool idea. That's why I think you saw so many gifts of this game back in those days in that, that time and then you know by now it feels a little bit less revolutionary than it would have then because there have been so many other games that have kind of done this um to the point where i, I feel like in some ways i'm a little tired of this sh- subgenre. you know i was also looking at like um this game the the most similar thing it is is to it, the most similar i can see it being to a game that i'm aware of is to the canceled portal prequel did you ever see anything about that uh f-stop 
also known as no, aperture camera. There's a there's some videos of it online. Um, there was a the, Valve was at one point working on a prequel to Portal, which would have been titled F Stop or Aperture Camera, and it was very, very, very similar mechanically to this. You would have a camera that you could use to take a photo of an object, and then you could move to a different place in the environment and kind of essentially like paste that photo onto the environment, and you'd be creating a duplicate copy of the object, but you know, rescaled or what have you based on the the new perspective where you kind of put that photograph. Um, And uh, like there's, there's videos, there's a whole video series on YouTube. If you look it up, it's called exposure uh, by lunch house software where they kind of go through a bunch of, and this actually, these videos came out earlier this year. Um, They're pretty interesting uh, where you can see like how they, how they would have played through that. But like, you you can also see like at some point uh, valve abandoned this, idea making this game. And I certainly can't imagine why they did exactly like, I can't guess at exactly why they decided to abandon this idea because it is a cool mechanical idea, but one can potentially guess that maybe they realized that this genre, they, you know, they didn't have as much to add as they maybe thought they did. Uh, this genre is one that I think is already sort of starting to show its seams. Um, and I don't know what the next big, like, first person puzzle mechanic that's going to like blow the lid off of things is uh, this didn't quite feel like it did that for me. Like um, it's not a bad game and it is a neat uh, interaction, but it's, it's definitely not the sort of like earth shatteringly cool idea that like portal felt like back in, I don't know, 2007 or whenever it was that that came out. Um, and, uh, I don't think it's even quite as interesting as it would have seemed back, you know, at the beginning of its development cycle in 2014. So, you know, anyway, I, I still think it's definitely worth playing and it's, it's only going to take you, you know, a couple of hours to get through. And if this is the sort of game that you, uh, you enjoy, there's a lot to like here. Uh, but it, it's, uh, it feels a little bit like a game that missed its moment a little bit to me, uh, which is a little bit too bad. Yeah. I, I kind of agree with you there. I, I think, um, I mean, it's hard to speculate on like, where this style of gameplay is going. Um, I would have guessed like this would have integrated into VR really interestingly, but I think maybe the moment on VR is kind of past too. So maybe that's, uh, maybe there's who knows. Yeah. I think, I think VR is uh, VR gaming is in a weird place right now. I don't play a lot of VR games. I don't have a PC VR setup. I've only got the PS VR and uh, um, my, my take on the current sort of status of VR games is that like we are seeing the end of what is really interesting and possible with the current, the current like level of hardware tech that we're at. And Mm -hmm. I think uh, VR games are, are, I think there's still a lot of potential that's sort of unexplored there, but I think we're going to need to get a lot better hardware before we get there. And what I'm not sure is like, will the current level of hardware still be able to like support player interest long enough for us to get to whatever that next plateau is. Um, I'm not sure. And I think, I think we're starting to see some level of like, uh, you know, people are getting tired of, uh, of the current level that VR is at. And it's like, I don't know if people are going to be like, uh, I don't know if the market is supporting creating new cool VR experiences at this point. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see in a few years, whether VR has like disappeared and will reemerge the next time that somebody has a big, uh, a, a big new device to sell you on, uh, or whether it's just going to kind of continue to be this, this niche of gaming that 
continues to have interesting, neat little experiences pop up from time to time. Yeah, I'm on I'm on record as being the uh, big VR fan from this podcast, uh, but even I have not fired up my PlayStation VR in a while. So yeah. I think uh, it's probably going to be another round of hardware or something Weird that time. gets people back on VR. So, so I think we both recommend this game with some reservations, but I think it's definitely worth uh, playing and it's definitely worth your, your, you know, your two hours or so. Uh, it's available on a bunch of different platforms, which is why we played it now. It originally came out in November of last year on PC, and at the time it was an Epic Game Store exclusive. Um, I almost picked it up then, um, but uh, hadn't quite gotten around to it. And uh, we decided to play it because it came out on consoles. We both played the Nintendo Switch version. And I was actually really impressed with the port. Uh, I think it played really well. It's not the most beautiful game on Nintendo Switch. First-person 3D games often aren't. Uh, but uh, I thought it it worked really well. Uh, I didn't run into any major bugs or anything like that. And I can say that if you want to play this game on the Switch, uh, it's probably a perfectly good uh, platform for that. And if you want the slightly prettier version, uh, it definitely looks a little better in the PC screenshots and videos that I've seen online. So if that's your priority, uh, go for the Epic Game Store version. But I think it's also on uh, the other platforms as well, like I think it's both on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. And uh, just to wrap things up here, uh, I thought we'd do a little bit of a what's making us happy this week segment. Uh, Since it's just the two of us, Shane and me, uh, maybe I'll go ahead and go first if that's okay with you, Shane. Yep. Uh, So I wanted to recommend a game that, so usually I try to do uh, other media, non-game media in the what's making us happy this week segment. Uh, But I haven't watched a lot of, uh, of other media this week. Uh, But I have been playing a video game that I don't think we're going to probably cover on the show, even though I'd sort of like to just for for various reasons. And I wanted to talk about it a little bit, just recommend it to folks uh, who might be interested. So I wanted to uh, mention that I'm playing uh, Hard Space Shipbreaker, uh, and I'm really, really into it. And I think it's really neat. Um, So I will go ahead and and recommend it to folks. Uh, Hard Space Shipbreaker is a early access game. It's on uh, Steam. And for Windows only at this point, and I believe it'll eventually probably come to uh, to consoles. But right now, we're uh, you know since it's early access, who knows when that'll happen? And I don't usually go in for early access games, but this is sort of a perfect a perfect game for it, in my opinion. So uh, if you haven't seen Hard Space Shipbreaker, it's a first person spaceship recycling game. So the idea is that you are a shipbreaker, someone who lives and works in space, taking apart and salvaging old spaceships uh, for a massive company that that uh, does all. It was, the The game has this sort of frame story of, uh, you know, you you start the game by signing your life away essentially to this big company to get employment. Uh, in order to become a shipbreaker, and so you you start the game in debt to your employer by something like millions and millions of credits, and uh, your job is to work off that debt by uh, by breaking down spaceships and recycling the parts, and it does this in a way that's like really does a, a great job of like threading the needle between extreme like highly detailed realistic graphics uh, and almost abstract puzzle gameplay. It's really, really clever. So uh, you are, first of all, it plays in total 3D and you're weightless. And so of course you can rotate and and float all around. Uh, you're kind of jetpacking around. Um, if you're the sort of person who has difficulty with like uh, navigating in space games where there's no up or down, 
necessarily, this might be a problem for you. But uh, I got used to it pretty quickly. Uh, it's a little easier in some ways than, for example, um, uh, Outer Wilds, and a little trickier in others. Uh, but uh, you are uh, jetpacking around, and uh, each sort of level, it's very level-oriented. And by level, I mean like each shift, each like each work shift you have, your job is to take apart a spaceship. And each spaceship, uh, they, they start very, very simple, like little sort of shuttlecraft, and they get... M- progressively more complex as they go, uh, it's made up of a bunch of different types of parts. And you have just a couple of tools. You have a uh, some sort of laser cutter, and you have a little gun that you can use to move pieces around. It's kind of like a, like a tractor beam. And uh, you, know, you also have a scanner that you can use to analyze the ship you're looking at. So you can go into this scanner mode and look at the parts of the ship and see how it's all put together. And uh, the ship is put together with like panels of metal, uh, like girders, these things called cut points, which are places where you can cut one piece off from the next. They're sort of the fasteners that hold the ship together. Uh, and then there's there's bits of the ship that are more important than others. Uh, so you might have a, a job with each particular ship that says, okay, I need to take this thing apart and I need to get its reactor, uh, you know, a tank of fuel, and I need to recycle a certain volume of aluminum or something like that off of it. And you have to take a look at the ship and do things like figure out, okay, how do I get inside the ship? It might be pressurized. So do I need, you know, can I just start cutting from the outside or do I need to open an airlock? If I open the airlock, do I need to get inside and then release the pressure from the inside using a control panel? Or can I just pop it and let the air out myself? Once you're inside, you have to look at the structure of the ship and start taking pieces off of it. And there are some parts that are really simple, like I just want to pull a big panel off the side and throw it onto the, the, the salvage barge as one big piece. And there's other parts that are more complicated. So, for example, uh, most ships have a, a reactor that you need to salvage. But as soon as you pull the reactor out, uh, it starts melting down. And you have a timer of usually just a few seconds to get that thing from the spaceship onto the salvage barge. Uh, and if you if it goes off, you're going to die, uh, which means then they have to use a new clone for you. And so you're in debt for even more money because you had to had to get your uh, your clone replaced. So uh, being able to do things like uh, clear a path between the reactor and the salvage barge so that once you pull that thing out, you can get it very quickly to the salvage barge without having to like wait around opening doors or anything becomes really, really important. Um, and if you get really good at it, you can take one of these ships apart from the entire ship down to down to zero. You can, you can take every piece off of the ship and either throw it into the salvage barge to sort of salvage it as is into a furnace to melt it down or into a kind of uh, some kind of uh, like atomic separator for certain types of objects that, you know, need to be like specially salvaged or what have you. Um, And it's really, really fun. Uh, It's, it's still early access. So uh, I don't, I don't know exactly what the timeline on the early access on this game is, but I think it's the sort of perfect style of game for early access because it is so sort of level based. Uh, you know, there's an existing campaign mode where you can go in and just start playing levels and, and taking apart these ships. Um, but I don't feel like there's like necessarily an ending to the game in sight. And it's not like there's some sort of overall plot or anything. It's not like, uh, it's a hesitation I often have with uh, with uh, you know early access games is that I'm not going to play the game again once it's done. I want to play like a completed finished version of it. Um, but this because it has this sort of like lengthy career mode where you're just sort of 
breaking down ships and making money off of that, I don't feel like there's any real like reason not to play it now. Uh, and it really is scratching an interesting itch for me. It's this beautiful 3D game that is like technically really cool. Um, and, you know, in, includes all this like cool space sim flying around uh, while still being basically a level-based puzzle game. Um, it's this really cool, like cool intersection of like cool 3d space game with like taking this like incredibly complex thing, like a spaceship and just like breaking it down into parts and cutting it apart. It's just like this really satisfying thing. So, um, I, I, and every one of them is this neat little puzzle. So I definitely recommend checking it out as far as right now, it's only on steam. It's in early access and it's also, I think it's like 20 bucks, uh, which felt like a really great value, uh, given that this feels like a really well-produced game, even already in its current state. So I definitely recommend checking this game out. If you, uh, if you haven't seen it, just find it on steam. It's called hard space Shipbreaker. That sounds like a really fun game that I probably can't play uh, because I still haven't built my gaming PC and I will do so soon. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that sounds like a really cool mechanic. And I love I love the idea of like having a really interesting tie between what's basically puzzles and like a sci-fi world building exercise. So that that aspect of it seems really neat to me. Yeah, it does seem like they're planning on kind of expanding the campaign mode. And uh, part of that seems to be sort of uh, like the game definitely has a plot, uh, but its plot is sort of this like background story of like worker oppression. And I'm interested to see if they go any further with that. Uh, it's kind of like over the top uh, silliness, but it's also like very much about like, uh, you know, for for example, when you when you sign the the paperwork at the beginning of the game to get your employment, you have to say that you know you have to hold your your employer uh, harmless for you know all sorts of things that will happen, and you're also agreeing as part of your employment contract to vote for a particular candidate that they choose in their you know, in the next election and that sort of thing. It's this like uh, you know capitalism gone mad kind of uh, setting that uh, you know I. I kind of like that sort of thing. So yeah. I, I found it, uh, even if the, the frame story right now is pretty, uh, pretty thin, I'm interested to see what they add yeah. to that. I'm into I it. Like a little, it, little work it could, a day space yeah. dystopia. Sounds fun. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I am going to recommend or what's making me happy this week, a movie that came out this year, uh, from the director, Kelly Reichhart. The movie's called first cow. Um, this movie is you. You might know. I don't know how, if I've ever talked about my love for westerns on um, on this particular venue before, but I do love me some westerns. Uh, I love classic westerns, but maybe even more so, I love the kind of uh, revival western genre. Uh, one of my favorite TV shows, of course, is Deadwood, which I think is is a great example. But then you look at um, well, actually, another film by the same director. Uh, was called Meek's Cutoff, which, uh, you know, th- basically taking taking a, a modern look at the Western genre and, and finding new ways to kind of play things out that aren't as reliant on the black hat and white hat tropes uh, that have lingered in the genre for many, many decades. Um, First Cow is a uh, kind of Western drama, and it's set in, I want to say, the American Northeast um, 
it's like in the late 1800s. Uh, it starts off with this kind of group of fur trapper. Oh, uh, Northwest, I should say. It's a Western. It's in. It's, I think it takes place in Oregon uh, or somewhere like that. Just like all these things, it almost doesn't matter that much. Uh, the the thing that matters is that you're you're way out from civilization, um, and a group of trappers is making their way towards a fort, um, and one of them is a guy that they call Cookie because he's the cook, uh, and he's this kind of quiet loner type who uh, is being mistreated by the the rest of the fur trappers uh, in his group. Uh, and they finally arrive at this fort uh, where he meets a Chinese immigrant who is kind of on the run from uh, some some Russians who he, he may have killed one of these Russians. Um, so Cookie, the cook, hides the uh, Chinese immigrant whose name is uh, King Lu, uh, hides him for the night and helps him kind of escape. Uh, and then the rest of the film is kind of a buddy movie between these two. It's a it's a really lovely, hard to say. Like the the thing that makes this movie unique really is is two things. One, when you think of westerns, you're often thinking about like an adventure story or a revenge story, and this really isn't that. This is a really sweet and kind story, and it kind of centers around this cow that the two of them learn about the first ever milk cow being brought into the territories uh, that's owned by this uh, this wealthy guy that's kind of the the, the one rich guy at the fort. Um, and unbeknownst to this rich guy, the two of them start going to his house, uh, going to his property at, 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 in the dead of night and milking his cow to get milk. Uh, that Cookie then uses to bake uh, cakes <laughs> and starts selling cakes. And because there's no other uh, source of milk in the territory, uh, these cakes are amazing. And uh, to these people who have not had uh, decent food um, in, in many months, many of whom are miners who are, are flush with cash. Uh, so the, the, the playing out of this particular scam, uh, the plan that they're doing, um, is the kind of the basis of the plot. And it, it's, I thought a wonderful kind of slow paced, more character based, often very funny, um, heartfelt story that you don't, I've never seen a Western that told this kind of a story before. And I absolutely loved it. I can't recommend it. Uh, highly enough if if you like westerns or you like things that are a little bit sweeter and, and kinder on the side of things so this is a this is a good kind of foundation of america kind of story and um it's being distributed by a24 which by the way i'm not usually i don't usually stand film distributors but a24 when i see a24 on on stuff now um usually a sign of quality to me so uh i i recommend it you should check it out that's cool. I've been I've been wanting to check that out since you recommended it about a week ago to me, and I I, uh, I looked it up on Amazon and uh, it on Amazon. So you know, I use uh, Amazon Prime Video for a lot of of my movie and video watching, um, just because hey, it's you know they've got a lot of stuff on there. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- when I pulled it up there, it has uh, 
at the time it had two out of five stars, which is usually as bad as it gets on Amazon. Um, like people just apparently on Amazon just hate this movie. I do not know why it's got like worse rating than like most of the Z grade horror crap that uh, I watch with my wife. So I wonder why the, why the, the, the varying opinion looking it up on, uh, so I thought like, Oh, that must be a bad movie. But then I looked it up here on, uh, on uh, rotten tomatoes yeah. and it's getting very, very good ratings from critics. So I wonder, I wonder why the disparity, maybe just folks were expecting something different. I definitely think that that's it because this is a movie that's, um, it looks like a West. It is a Western, but like I said, it's not telling the same kind of story that I think Western fans are going to expect. And that's probably basically what it boils down to. This is a kind of an artsy film, uh, which is not what a lot of people go to the, the, the watering hole of Westerns for. This is a kind of a sweet kind drama. Um, so I think it's just a matter of audience expectations. Um, and it's also kind of a weird thing around marketing movies today because there's not a whole lot of movies coming out in 2020, right? Um, and a sweet kind of sad story like this may not be what audiences are really hunting for, uh, especially when you drop a movie as they have here only on the paid services. So people are kind of going into this um, having to have maybe seen the trailer um, and then having to have to click buy before before they they get into it. So it's not streaming for free anywhere. As you said, it's on Amazon, but it's also on uh, iTunes. So, mm-hmm. uh, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I have seen movies like this. I often wind up when you see these movies that are on something like Rotten Tomatoes and it says, um, like, you know, like this one does, 95% fresh uh, from critics, but then the audience, audience score is 56 um, I tend to side with the reviewers often. Uh, mm. I, I find myself closer to those depending very much on the genre. Um, but artsy Western, like I said, this, this movie is from the same director, um, as a movie from about 10 years ago called Meek's cutoff that I remember really enjoying. Um, and that's one that, is more kind of down the middle on a Western, but it's more of like a Western mixed with kind of a survival story. Um, and it's based around uh, actual events of a, uh, kind of a misfortunate, uh, bunch of people kind of making their way through the Oregon desert, um, and, and running out of water. So it's more of a, 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 that's more, a little bit more of a traditional Western. This is, this is a very non-traditional Western. Um, but yeah, so I, I figured I would probably like it, and it turns out I did. Yeah, I'm glad to hear it, and I will definitely check it out. Thanks for the recommendation. Also, there's just so, not a lot uh, of new movies right now, so you kind of get what you got. Very true. So thank you for listening to The Short Game, and thank you, Shane, for joining me on this episode. We're coming back next week. I mentioned this uh, last episode, uh, and just time has uh, meant that we weren't able to get to it this week. But next week, we should be getting to 
Super Metroid. So we'll be doing two Super games in a row. Uh, we're going to be talking about Super Metroid next week. We've gotten some uh, rec- uh, some responses from listeners. If you have a thing you want to say about Super Metroid, you can send us your thoughts either on our Discord. That's uh, our patron-only Discord. If you head to theshortgame.net and click the, the Patreon link, or if you go to patreon.com slash theshortgame, you can become one of our supporters there. And all of our patrons at even a dollar a month uh, get access to our discord where we chat about the games that we're playing for the show and uh, that's the best way to share your thoughts with us you can do that there Uh, or you can find us on the web www.theshortgame.net we've got a contact form email address all the other stuff there we've also got twitter at underscore short game so we'd love to hear from you uh thoughts about any short games that you think would be right for the show uh, or just if you want to tell us what you think about super metroid uh, that's going to be our next topic and we would love to hear your thoughts and we'll read some of them on the podcast also thank some of our patrons on this episode uh want to send out sincere thanks to patrons erica uh gabe ortiz hacksaw unit uh jason harville and jeremiah johnson uh thank you to all of you guys for your consistent support of the show we really appreciate you guys uh we've had some new patrons recently and it's been great to get to know you guys too so thanks very much for uh for joining us uh you can find me on twitter at reagan k that's r-a-y-g-a-n-k and shane where can people find you i'm also on twitter at 8bit shane thank you shane and uh thank you to all of our listeners for listening to the short game (laughs) 